Traveling the Vortex We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex. Grab your parka. We've arrived at episode 562. I'm Keith. I'm Glenn. And we are shy. One member this week. Sean is on vacation. He is. Uh, we enjoying, are Seanless. He is joining a enjoying. He's enjoying a week in uh, Walt Disney World in Florida. So looks like they're having a lot of fun. And surprisingly, he hasn't been rubbing it in too much. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At least not on our chat thread. <laughs> I don't know what he's posting on Facebook. No, he did send the uh, picture and asked about uh, Dalek in um, Tomorrowland. <laughs> And I thought, yeah. yeah, that's a Doctor Who fan, of course, is going to be nobody else but a Doctor Who fan would look at that oh. and go, oh, Dalek. <laughs> but yeah, yeah sure enough, a, the dome, dome and, <laughs> and and the little rib, the ridges underneath between yeah. that. Now, beyond that, it's like these blocky, four little blocky things that stick out. And I think have some of them have water fountains on them. So. Yeah, it looks like it's all water, mostly water fountains. Are they all water fountains? I look like somebody was drinking out of one, so. But, yeah. but still, I you know he said it and I saw it. So <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Only a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> Did you do anything? Well, did you this? do anything fun? I I watched. Um, I caught up on Ahsoka. So I watched the one oh. that I hadn't watched last week, and then I watched this week's, and so I'm caught up fully on that. I am fully caught up too. And wow, I thought this week's yeah. episode was just. <laughs> wonderful um uh, yeah. of course the end of last week was a huge surprise i had no idea that mm. uh i don't know how much we want to talk about it but i don't know i, I didn't think that character was going to be considering they put him on a poster that they released on oh. last wednesday announcing because episode five they did a limited theatrical run oh and so they did a poster promoting that of course it's not anywhere near here us Right. But they created a poster promoting that, and he's on that poster. Ah. Well, so but when, too when did a that drop, for me, then? unfortunately. It dropped on the Wednesday. That the last so the, episode came out? Yeah. Oh, okay. So the first full day that the episode had been out on. I see. Now that they moved the release date up. Right. Episode 5 was phenomenal though. oh yeah yeah it was so good <laughs> i mean it, it felt so much like a finale yeah i it thought felt so like too i would have been okay if that was the end of the season if it, well and we're going on to season two that would be that <laughs> would be been... the best way to do it is do them five episodes at thought. a time and just kind of pace out the the series but well and even if they had decided to stretch out everything leading up to this and give me six episodes, I would have been okay with that mm -hmm. because now three episodes to deal with Thrawn isn't enough. You're right. Right. You need way more than that to deal with whatever's going to happen once she gets to where she's going. Right. So I don't, I'm a little worried about how the rest of the season is going to go. And there are definitely nine or eight episodes, eight, eight episodes. Eight episodes. Hmm. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Yeah. I hope it doesn't get rushed through because it's been overall. I think the season has been really good. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Holly agreed with me. This is the most 
of all of the live action shows, this feels the most Star Wars to me. Mm-hmm. And which is crazy because we're dealing with a lot of characters that weren't even in the original films. <laughs> They're all well, it's got... Rebels and Clone Wars characters. So, but Rebels and Clone Wars, especially Rebels, I thought had the feel of the original trilogy. That's it true. really captured yeah. that essence to it. And this continues to do that since it's Rebel season five. That's true. That is true. And, you know, I saw a couple of headlines of, oh, Ahsoka can't escape its own nostalgia. And you know what? This I firmly believe that this show is being made for the fans, not the casual viewer. I thought the same thing because I thought they've gone really heavy into the Rebels references. They've gone somewhat heavy with it. Well, this last episode was somewhat heavy into the Clone Wars. And I thought the same thing. I thought, well, they're really going hard and heavy on a lot of that um, flashback stuff. But then I thought, well, that's who this is being made for. Are those people that were around for Clone Wars that were around for Rebels and, you know, are diehard, pretty much diehard fans of the show. Well, and even still, Sarah's been watching Ahsoka too, and she barely watched any Clone Wars I've, 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 she's probably been mostly exposed to the final season just because I was watching it in the evening, you know, and she mm-hmm. was around knitting and whatnot. And she not watched any Rebels. I gave her kind of like a two minute or a little 10 minute video on YouTube of, okay, here's a recap of what's happened in the first four seasons. And she has since started watching season one and working her way through it, but she's still enjoying the series. So mm. I think those people that are making complaints about the nostalgia are just looking for things to complain about yeah, more than anything else. And if she's that's, if, enjoying if, it and getting as just as much out of it well, as I am. And if that's the worst you can complain about, then the show must be doing a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I think the one thing that I have seen people touch on and not, it wasn't even so much complaints, but it was more of a, you could tell Filoni's taking a page out of the, uh, George Lucas school of scripting is everything is very deliberate and everybody waits for the next person to, to speak. So mm. there's not a lot of that natural organic speaking. It it's that's part, I think why it sounds like a star Wars. it feels like a star Wars movie because it sounds <laughs> like a star Wars movie as well. And I, I agree, I but it, it hasn't bothered me at all because I think it, it works really well. So I hadn't even noticed it, but yeah. you know, I didn't notice it until somebody pointed it out a couple of weeks ago and then I've been noticing it since I've been watching it, but again, still works. And Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to say this because in case there's people that are following along real quick, I'm going to talk some spoilers here because I, one of my biggest issues with clone wars and it's not a big issue that took me out of the stories and it, you know, it still was an enjoyable time, but the characterization of Anakin in those stories just didn't quite gel with Hayden Christensen's portrayal. And what's amazing about that flashback sequence is in the sequence when they're in the clone wars and they're fighting, he emulates the character that was in the, in the series. He doesn't, it's, he's very much that character. And I thought that's pretty bold of somebody that cemented this role. (laughs) And then somebody else took that part in another uh, element of star Wars and you went and emulated that person. Now that may have been Filoni's direction saying, Hey, look at some of this and this is what I'm looking for. 
But for somebody like Hayden Christensen to do that, not just revert to how he's performed as Anakin, I thought was brilliant. I thought I was so relieved by that because it didn't, it really felt like live action Clone Wars for me by him doing that. So, yeah. Well, especially seeing him in that outfit. Yeah. And the hair, the hair was <laughs> right. Too. Too. The hair, the hair, yeah. hair was perfect. And some of the, some of the facial effects they did on him to make him look like that younger one mm-hmm. so much better than they've ever done before. Yeah. I think so too. Especially in that one section where he's wearing the, Oh no. Oh no. Keith, can you hear me? Oh. And without Sean here, I don't know if this was me or you. Kind of helps me bridge that. What? You went away. Oh. I don't know. What'd you hear? Well, I don't know what a point you said. Um, We were talking about. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> we were talking about the hair. <laughs> uh, the last thing we uh, talked uh, about was hair. Okay. And then also the visual effects they did on his face to de-age him a little bit. Some of that was some of the best they've ever done. He looked like he was truly from that time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's also, I thought, helped me, because I've always kind of had that same issue that you have had. I don't know if it's just seeing Hayden do those Clone Wars things or the way he performed it, but it helps me kind of bridge that gap between the characterization. Exactly. Because it seems like he's in the war. He's in his element. Mm -hmm. He, this is where he is the most comfortable. This is where he feels the most secure within himself and not doubting himself. Mm -hmm. It's when he gets away from the war and we see that, you know, episode three version of him. And even before the war, the episode two version where he's trying to make everybody happy. This, you get to really see the Anakin that we see throughout the clone wars and Mm -hmm. seeing Hayden do that helps bridge that gap in such a way that it makes it more, makes it, I don't want to say seamless, but at least eases that transition. Yeah. It makes it work better. In fact, now seeing this, if I went back and watched clone wars and then episode three, I think it would work a lot better, especially from what you were saying is because now suddenly he's out of his element that, you know, yeah, wrapping th- up and yeah. Well, and I think the conversation he has with Ahsoka of this was me trying to train you and get you ready to be a warrior helps explain his behavior through most of the clone wars too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, um, Phenomenal series. Phenomenal. I, I'm so enjoying where they're going with it and how they're doing it. So, so far, probably my second favorite season of a live action. Yeah. We'll see how it. I just hope it sticks to the landing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and you know, based on your concerns, and I, I'll, I'll echo those concerns. It feels like it's going to take a lot to wrap it up, but we'll see. You know, maybe a quick lightsaber to the neck and. Ron won't have to be, won't have to worry about Ron. <laughs> uh, did you do anything else besides Ahsoka? <clears throat> yeah, we watched a couple movies. Uh, as a family, we watched the live action Little Mermaid on mm. Disney Plus, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, I really didn't have any issues with it. It felt they they extended it, you know, a little bit, added some extra songs as they usually do with the live action remakes, but it didn't feel like they added too much unnecessariness to it. It mm-hmm. felt just like a little bit more fleshed out 
And both Sarah and Sean had commented on how dark it seemed. It must have been the theater because I didn't think this the visually it was a darker film than any other film. It was just other than, you know, the sequences set at night were dark because it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like it was dark. I didn't feel like it was bright. It was just kind of a standard brightness level of any normal movie. So that part didn't bother me. I thought Melissa McCarthy did a great job um, as Ursula. She really kind of steals the show. And you don't really, other than her face is obviously it's her, mm-hmm. but her performance isn't her at all. It, she totally channels that character completely oh, wow. from the car- animated series or movie. Well, that's cool. I know that Sean's concern on it was he thought the underwater stuff was dark, was really dark. So maybe you're right. Maybe it was a theater that you see. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was. It was maybe a little more muted than it could have been, but not not necessarily dark. Not in my opinion. So maybe it's just the projection of it. I don't know. Caitlin saw it. She said that um, you know she's really critical about the live action films. In fact, I think the only one that she's liked was Jungle Book of of all of them. And, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and she thought Aladdin was okay, but she's been real critical about all the rest of them. But she, she texted and asked if we'd seen it yet, and I said no. And she said it's really, really good. So that's you know, <laughs> that's high praise. Yeah, high praise from her. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. It was good. I think we're gonna watch it this weekend since it's on uh, Disney Channel now. I think we're gonna rent Indiana Jones. We've still been trying to get a time to see oh. that together but we just oh. haven't made it yet so uh, anything else you said that and what else uh and then i watched the batman oh is it you haven't seen that yet i hadn't seen that oh, yet okay either. what'd you think so i'm kind of done catching up on all my dc stuff mm-hmm. that i was kind of wanting to see it was okay it was pretty good i, I think it's a a very well crafted film uh for being seven meets Batman. <laughs> That's true. That's it, so it, true. I hadn't thought of that. You're a, right. <laughs> I, I watched the honest trailer for it and it's, it's truly a Gen X's Batman. It's mm-hmm. so dark and gritty that you can't even see half the time because it's so dark. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it should have come out. And I think it would have had been a huge, huge success. Had it come out late nineties, had it come out 97, kind of that time period. Mm-hmm early 2000s before dark Knight, before we've had the light version of superheroes that everyone likes so much i think it would have been a smashing success but as it is it's an interesting take it doesn't feel that fresh and unique anymore which i think is unfortunate because it could have felt very fresh and unique at one time um i wasn't impressed by robert pattinson as batman his he's stoic he's grumpy and that's about all he is to him. So it's not like I wasn't wowed by his Bruce Wayne at all. His Batman was okay. Um, he spends a lot of time in, in the bat suit more so than out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's it's kind of that Batman persona. So it's, it's easy to kind of act that way. In my opinion, I think his Batman was fine. It was his Bruce Wayne that it took me a while to get used to him. And then, after it was done and over, I appreciate the fact that he played Bruce Wayne different than anybody else has played Bruce Wayne. So I was kind of grateful that they've ta- they if they're going to you know do Batman again, make some tweaks, make some changes, 
And I sort of appreciate the angle that he took with that. But he didn't feel, in watching it, he didn't feel like Bruce Wayne at all when he was Bruce Wayne. And I think part of that was because he is in the bat suit most of the time. Yeah. Well, and he's so young, too. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's two years into his reign as Batman. So the fact that he is shirking his responsibilities to focus on Batman makes him feel less Bruce Mm Wayne-y because he's so focused on being Batman. And I, for the it made total sense in the plot of why he, they did the, did it the way they did. I just, I guess I wanted to be won over by him as Batman. And Mm. I just, I wasn't, I was just, okay, he's all right as Batman. Um, the Riddler's (laughs) plot seemed a little overly complex for the most part. I thought so too, but I mean, I still don't fully understand what they were going to do. Like what corruption he was fully stopping other than the use of that foundation for something. (laughs) <laughs> they never even made it clear what they were using no, that foundation for. I think they're holding that back for the sequel. I think we're going to, I think they're going to, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a little bit more about that because of the interaction that he has in the cell with the surprise cameo. At well, the end. Yeah. Um, also Colin Farrell is the penguin. Love <laughs> yeah. him. I have, I could, I could see him. why they're going to give him a series. Yeah. And man, he was fantastic. That characterization of the penguin was was really good too, and really different. Mm-hmm. Well, like they almost could have gotten away with not even calling him a, the penguin and just calling him Oswald Cobblepot. Actually, and just let people who didn't know it just gloss over it. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I kind of felt like his his uh, portrayal is more of the penguin is more in line with where they went with the penguin and like the late nineties, early two thousands. This is more of the, more of the mob boss behind the scenes, businessman type than. Yeah. Like yeah. A, and, and definitely not the Danny DeVito version. <laughs> definitely not the Danny DeVito version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was good. I don't, I don't, it's not one I'd go back to a lot or very often, but mm-hmm. I'm glad I watched it. It was definitely worth watching. And I watched it in like three sittings also, but oh, well. it's, so long sometimes that's what needs to be done <laughs> and it's not one of the ones that i could even watch when the kids were awake so right right <laughs> i have a limited number of time before i'm passing out so mm-hmm. that's what i gotta you know squeeze in what i can you're have a sonic <laughs> <laughs> um so then yeah you're caught up to the rest of us and you haven't seen blue beetle yet though right I have not seen Blue Beetle, okay. and the, the only other one I haven't Black Adam. Which oh, you I don't haven't know if seen I Black Adam. Um, no, I I thought it was worth it. I didn't. I think it gets a lot more. I think it was trashed a lot more than it should have been. Um, I I liked where they were going with it. I think it could have been better, but I enjoyed it. It was a it was a. I thought it was on par with um, that last Shazam film. Okay, as far and as I enjoyed the last quality. Shazam film, so. Yeah. We'll see. I'm going to go off and do other stuff, and I might come back to it. We are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the target novelizations and publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrence Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. 
This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Podcast. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time round. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. Alright, well we don't have a two... Uh, something new two-minute review this week so we're going to uh, talk about news yeah they have announced that a season two of doctor who redacted is coming soon yay. dropping on september 18th in the uk yay i'm excited yeah because that was a really really good series <laughs> uh juno dawson returns as a lead writer alongside stars charlie craggs lois chimimba chimimba and Holly Quinn Ankra, while Series 2 welcomes a host of guest stars from around the Doctor Who and beyond, including Freddie Carter, Anjali Mohindra, Dervlin Kerwin, and Alexander Armstrong. I only recognize Alex- uh, Angeline's name. <laughs> and she's returning to play Ronnie on the show. So, I am. Yeah, <laughs> so that's really cool. So she's got that going for her as Ronnie, and she's got the... Uh, uh, Ronnie takes on the world. Is it Ronnie? Ronnie takes on the world. Is that the yeah, big finish like series? Anyway, I think RTD she... needs to give her a series. Yeah, right. I agree. <laughs> Absolutely love her. I'm glad she's back though. That's that's terrific. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad Redacted's back. I'm mm-hmm. really enjoyable. Yeah, totally enjoyed that. Of course, we the the cool thing about this for us is we were talking about this pre-show, but that in the UK it released back in last year in april but we actually reviewed it right around this time last year so it's been a year since we did our review of the first series so of course we probably will review the entire series once it's run <laughs> so it'll right. be, it'll be a little while before we get a review season too but at least we'll get a listen to it as we go and then it's coming out pretty soon too is really exciting it's not months and months away just a few days from now yeah very cool. No, that's exciting stuff. I'm I thoroughly enjoy that. In fact, I listened to that twice because I listened to it as it was releasing, and then I released, and then I listened to the entire thing again when we reviewed it. So, I nice that much. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast.
you are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Khashki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. All right, well, let's move on to our um, review because we, uh, Sean, as we said, Sean is on uh, vacation this week, but we wanted to press on, so we are going to review the audio story, The Teeth of Ice, featuring the Eighth Doctor and read by Dan Starkey, and it was written by Andy Lane, and this is a BBC audio release, so not to be confused with the, this is more like an audio book. Um, not yes. to be confused with the uh, releases that Big Finish does. So, Keith, you got us. And this is a longer version of a something new two minute because it came out on August third of this That's this true. year. And so it is new, fairly recent. <laughs> That's yes. right. It's a, it's an elongated. <laughs> it's a more than two minute review. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something new, more than two minute review. There you go. You got a summary for us? I do. Indomitable reporter James McFarlane has traveled to the remote McCready base near the South Pole. His mission to interview the famed explorer Pentus Roxdale. On arrival, McFarlane is astonished to discover that the base's new medical officer is none other than the Doctor. McFarlane is intrigued by rumors of strange goings-on at the base, whilst a recent attack on a neighboring station by creatures unknown attracted the Doctor's attention. The two friends focus on Rochdale's expedition to find the legendary lost continent of Mew, which he believes may lie in Antarctica. When a series of grisly deaths disturb the base's calm, the Doctor's suspicions are aroused. Whatever is preying on people, it's intelligent and has deadly claws and teeth. But by the time he and McFarlane have uncovered the truth, they are well within biting distance of the teeth of ice. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. You know, that, that middle part of that summary is, it's kind of strange that they use that because the, the two focus on Rochdale's expedition to find the legendary lost content of Moo. But so he uses that as an excuse for why he was that out. That may see through yeah. right away. And yeah, the doctor says, well, it's not Moo because he knows it's not here. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they see through it really so it's kind of funny that they put that in the summary when that's just kind of a throwaway in the middle of this. Once, once we discover what actually is going on, uh, on like a page. five minute interlude in the middle. Right. Exactly. Of the story. It's, it's, it's a, it, it makes it sound like it's a bigger deal than it is in the story. It really isn't. Um, I really liked this. I, I, I liked the idea of these werewolves, <laughs> Uh, what they call them? Uh, wolfskins. Uh, wolf yeah, they call, kept calling them wolfskins. But these these werewolves and the idea that you know they they're down in Antarctica because they're wolves for a good number um, of days because the moon the full moon would be up uh, longer in Antarctica. Um, what I think I didn't like about it was um, 
oh, what was the, um, oh, the the head guy on the base. They didn't say his name in this summer. Oh, yeah, they did I didn't. can't remember his name. But anyway, the, the head guy that's running this base, I thought it was a, when it's kind of disclosed what's happening here, and that they have these werewolves that are basically working for them as, as you know, pack wolves, uh, not pack wolves, as, um, um, well, sleigh wolves, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, um, when it's revealed, it's like, it's it's kind of a quick turnaround by this guy. And by that, I mean, we're, we're going along and we're, there's this mystery and then there's this attack in the base and they find out that, uh, somebody's been, you know, killed. And so they start to search the base and they decide, well, it's not a man. It has to be an animal. And so they're building this whole mystery of what could be in this space, what possibly has attacked and killed this guy. Um, there's a broken window. Did it come in the window? And it, it was really kind of intriguing because, um, they made the point, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, James that said, um, well, if it, it wouldn't have come in and probably as a door somewhere, check on doors because it wouldn't, it would have been too large to come in this window. And so they check the doors and then he makes a comment about, well, you should leave one of the doors open so that it can get out if they do track it, blah, blah, blah. So we go run this whole run around with this idea. And then they bring the guy that's attacked that they find outside in for the doctor to do an autopsy and a look at. And that's when they kind of discover that, oh, it was, well, the, the doctor's pretty aware that it was an animal and not somebody uh, inside the base that had killed him, right? Because, well, and he even said for the first guy, it wasn't an animal. Oh, right. It was a knife. It was killed by somebody in the base. That's right. Like, yeah. They didn't go so far as to say his throat was slit, but they implied that someone basically slit this guy's throat. Right, exactly. And so they go that route. And then when the doctor kind of discovers discovers that it's werewolves and they confront the head guy that he like lets them in on the fact that they're protecting this coven of these wolf skins in this particular location. And they have this whole confrontation stepping back a little bit. There's this whole confrontation when it happens in the commissary where Rosh, uh, uh, what was his name? Rosh, uh, the other guy, Rochdale, when Rochdale's like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be an animal because blah, blah, blah. And then we find out that everybody in this base knows about this. <laughs> and I thought, well, what was this big mystery of running around trying to find the animal that attacked this guy when everybody's in on the fact that this, there is animals, there are these animals, uh, potentially dangerous animals in the base already. And suddenly there's, so it seemed like this real quick flip and, in order to reveal that. And, and the fact that the two people that were killed were the animals themselves. Right. Right. Well, that was especially the first the, at least the second one. I'm pretty sure the first guy was. Oh, too. I thought, see, I, I thought I knew maybe, maybe the, the first guy wasn't, but the second guy definitely was. I knew the second guy was because that's when the doctor starts to kind of figure out what's going on here. And it's based on him. And also he recognized earlier on that the main, the guy that runs the base, the director, his dogs in this one part of the, where the dogs live are bigger mm-hmm. than the other dogs that are, are Roch, Rochdale's dogs. So he starts piecing it together sort of early on there, but, 
Yeah, I I didn't remember the first guy being one, but definitely the second guy was, and the and the first guy may have been. I just didn't. Maybe I missed. Yeah, that. I, I and I could have remembered wrong on that too. I can't remember for sure. Um, but then it turns into we find out that well, Rochdale's really there in order to take out this. I, I I'm saying coven, but this den or pack or whatever that's been living here. And the reason he's doing it is because I did I get that it was his like somebody he he. He his wife was them, killed by them. Yeah, he holds them responsible for the death of his wife or his girlfriend. Pretty much. Or so, and it's kind of a revenge uh, attack at this time. Well, and it's it's a partial revenge and partial. He views them as a threat to humanity. Yes, right. So that he wants yeah. to drop right them off, but right. he didn't wasn't aware of them until the, his wife was killed by one of them. Right. And you know he's going to cluster bomb the. <laughs> <laughs> the thing. Although he's in a a, a a blimp, right? I mean, he's flying in this blimp yeah. because the James points out that if the doctor has to, which that's another thing that I thought was kind of strange. The doctor goes so far as to plant these fireworks, but he's kind of never intending to use the fireworks. He's hoping the threat of the fireworks is enough to keep uh, uh, Rochdale from attacking it's really clear that Rochdale is not going to not attack. He's going to push forth with this attack. Yeah. And so the doctor has this dilemma where he, he's, he can't light him, but then James can. So James sets the fireworks off, destroys the blimp, saves the day. And then the doctor's mad because he did it. And I think, well, you kind of set him up for it. You sort of were going to need to do that because that's what had to be done anyway. So you really can't hold it too much against him. So I think the doctor was a little too angry or a little too rough on uh, James because of the choice that James made. So, yeah, I would agree. I I felt like he really put James into a corner Mm -hmm. and didn't give him much of an option and forced his hand to do what he did. And I think he did the right thing, even though, you know, he may have killed a bunch of people. He at least prevented genocide. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Because you were under the impression that they were all there, right? Like that was the oh, entire uh, pack of almost uh, at the very least, almost all of almost them. All, yes. Yeah. Okay. That's I thought the same thing too. Well, and I think even the doctor says you can't do it. It's genocide. And oh, that's right. Yeah. He does say that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, when he's telling the, when he's telling Rochlin that, yeah. 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 I think the ideas in this story are really cool and clever. The fact of the werewolves being down in Antarctica, you know. And having a society down there that people don't know about, I think is pretty cool. And, you know, the, the setting, they really captured and just did good descriptions on the setting of what the situation's like in this area. And then following James McFarlane, only to discover he's had previous encounters with the doctor we didn't know about, which I thought was a, a, a cool little aside that, Oh, there's previous adventures to go listen to. And this is just one of many of his encounters with the doctor. I thought that was, that was a neat touch. Um, and got me intrigued to want to go back to listen to these other ones. Um, and the fact that, you know, going back to the, the werewolf aspect of it, that they have this relationship with the bases in Antarctica. So it's a mutual benefit, mm-hmm. uh, a beneficial arrangement for both of them. I think right. it, as if, especially considering it's the 1900s, I think that's a very forward thinking idea. And I, I like the fact that that 
that they set that up and you know it'd be kind of a cool thing to re-explore again um you know exploring if now do the wolf skins you know not trust the humans because of what right. happened etc etc yeah. it's it's rife for a sequel mm-hmm. i think yeah which I don't know. They may they may do. They may take it further. It's obviously they set it up for another encounter to happen between him and and James McFarland again. So, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, I like James. I thought he was an interesting character. Yeah, agreed. And what I think coming into this fresh without having heard the last two stories, one of the kind of the nice things about him already knowing the Doctor is we didn't have to go through that whole introductory period. We didn't have to yeah. go through that. You know, learning about each other. They already really knew each other from these previous adventures. And so I, I kind of thought there must have been, you know, previous adventures that have been, you know, uh, out there recorded that in, in, in media. But I did almost also was thinking, well, there doesn't really have to be. It just could be they happen to know each other and they, they want to get, you know, take off on this story and not have to dwell on that. But then as we found out before the show, we realized there's two other stories and then presumably another one that's coming so yeah they definitely set that up and i i'm really looking forward to that one to see (laughs) what kind of fallout there's going to be between the two of them well yeah because the doctor and him now have to sort of make amends on their relationship because of what happened this one so and i think i like james because he reminded me of a moral chorley oh yeah yeah he kind of he kind of had that Charlie aspect to him, being the reporter and his journalistic instincts kicking in, but he had more of that moral center and more of that courage that Charlie, at least in Doctor Who proper, lacked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and even so, even so, in the Lethbridge Stewart books, although he started to come around a little more. Yeah, uh, he started to gain were, that you yeah. know confidence and that right. competency. So yeah, no, absolutely, um, definitely worth a listen. For anybody that enjoys mm-hmm. the Eighth Doctor, I think Dan Starkey um, doesn't sound like the Eighth Doctor in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but he has the mannerisms and he has the tones down, and so it works. Yeah, it, he, he never take does. him out. It never takes you out of the story because he he does have the Eighth Doctor's you know voice down at least not not in actual sound, but at least in in mannerisms. Well, and he did a great job with all the other characters, too, giving each of them their own unique enough voice that you can tell who's talking at any given time. That's true. Yeah. Each one of them definitely have a distinct um, accent and their own mannerisms as well. Although I'm fairly certain I heard Strax in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) There was. uh, I think Rochdale sounded a little more like Strax than it needed to be, but... (laughs) You can only do so many voices. Eventually, you're going to repeat yourself. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's kind of funny that um, we listened to this story also because the I didn't wind up doing it for the something new two-minute review because I did something else. But the Ninth Doctor box set, uh, Pioneers, had one set in the North Pole. Oh, right. Following yeah. somebody. So <laughs> kind of interesting that a couple of months later, we went to the other end of the yeah. planet. <laughs> <laughs> you you visited both ends of the planet now. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, any else, anything else to say about this uh, story? I don't think so. I enjoyed it. They all say who, who is Doctor Who? 
This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg, and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Well, I guess since Sean's not here, one of us has to uh, talk about what's coming up on the schedule. So <laughs> do you want to take that on or do you want me to do it? I can do it. All right. What's coming can up we... on the schedule, Sean? Or uh, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up next on the schedule, we have The Annihilators, The Third Doctor Adventures, Volume 9. We're going to be reviewing that next week, a little bit later of a recording for us because Sean is on holiday and we are doing that once he gets back. Um, and so it, it'll probably be a slightly more delayed release than normal, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then after that, we will be back to 60th anniversary tie-ins. Uh, once in future, the Martian invasion of Planetoid 50. That is uh, the part five of the Big Finish Once in Future saga. And then Liberation of the Daleks. Parts 9 through 12, that is, of course, the 14th Doctor comic strip in Doctor Who magazine. And then one more after that, another 60th anniversary tie-in. Timeless Adventures, the unofficial story of how Doctor Who conquered television from Polaris Publishing Limited, written by Brian J. Robb. We're going to be doing a review of of that book. Nice nice, uh, book review tie-in for the 60th anniversary. Yeah. And of course, you. And can... of course, go ahead. Of of course, if we find out Doctor Who is coming back soon, we will put everything else on hold and slip that in accordingly. That's right, absolutely. Well, you can find all this information at travelingthevortex.com. If you get any value out of this podcast, please consider putting some value back into it. Uh, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon link and consider supporting us there. You become a patron of the podcast and you get um, extra content and some audios that are special by us. I did put up a little uh, pre-banter from last week. Um, so if you want to take a little listen in occasionally to things that happened before the show, before we actually hit the record button, uh, patron uh, members actually, Patreon members actually get to uh, hear that as well now too. So be sure to um, check that out. And then, uh, of course, uh, you can find us all of the different social medias. You can find us on uh, Will We Ever Listeners Forum on Facebook. We also have a Facebook page. We are on X, formerly known as Twitter, and we're on TikTok right now. And um, we don't post there much, but we do have an Instagram account as well. So be sure to search for us there. You also give us a five-star rating wherever you subscribe to this podcast to bump us up in the ratings and recommendations of others. Anything else that we need to touch on before we close this one, Keith? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Keith. Cheers. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.